I love how Jesus is leading us as a church again this morning to be centered around him and our worship through our singing. And uh, we'll get to all the administrative things at the end of the, the morning. We in Jonah, the book of Jonah, it's a story about a prophet of God. Now, what is different about this book, if you compare it to the other books on the prophets or the books of the prophets, is it tells the story of the man and not as much the words of the man. Over the past two weeks, we've been studying this prophet of God who loved God dearly, yet chose to run away from him. Last week was a profound moment for us where we talked about the descent of disobedience and asking ourselves, am I on the slippery slope of falling back and away from God? And this morning's message is a hopeful one of how this ended for Jonah. We were left in chapter one not knowing what's gonna happen. It ends by saying the fish came and swallowed him. And that's it. If we didn't have chapter two this morning, it would have been very interesting in our hearts to consider what happened then to this guy that was swallowed by the fish. But praise Jesus for the complete word of God and for chapter two this morning. Chapter two is Jonah's prayer. The entire chapter is dedicated to what Jonah prayed inside the belly of the fish. And it's very interesting because I always kind of in my mind imagined when I read the Bible, because we read it very literally, that he was thrown into the scene. It was almost like as he was thrown over the board, the fish came and jumped and caught him. Is that kind of the picture you had? It's like in the water and then the fish comes. It's like an, almost an immediate action because we read it like that. They threw him overboard and the fish came and swallowed him. But then when we study chapter two, Jonah shares with us a whole experience he has before he ends up in the belly of the fish. And this week, it was a revelation to me. It's saying that, wait a minute, after he was thrown overboard, there's some things that happened before the fish swallowed him. And it's all documented in the prayer that he prayed. Isn't that amazing? He was thrown overboard and he was suffocating and sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And I thought about this, the descent of disobedience. Um, James, just jump forward to my slides to those lines where it ends up in the fish. The descent of disobedience looks a little bit different like this. Because I've always treated the fish as God's final judgment over Jonah, where Jonah saw it as God's salvation. If the fish didn't pitch up, he would have been dead. But the fish came and swallowed him up and gave him a second chance. And this morning, it's quite amazing to see that Jonah is in the stomach of the fish and he is so delighted that God saved him that he actually turned into a poet. Because he writes this incredible piece of literature as a prayer. I guess that's what happened when you're three days in the gut of a fish after everything you've done and you want to pray something. He perfectly crafted every word. What did the fish say to Jonah? You're a poet and you didn't even know it. But he writes, if you study it in the original text, an incredible Hebrew piece of poetry to describe what happened since he was thrown overboard and what he now sees as salvation. While he was in the stomach and the belly of the fish, he didn't know that he was going to be spat out onto dry ground. But he was thankful in that position 
of the belly of the fish for a second chance. So let's read together Jonah chapter two. It'll be up on the screen and you can follow with me as I read. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish and he said, I called to the Lord because of my distress and he answered me. From the stomach of the grave I cried and you heard my voice. For you threw me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your breakers and your waves passed over me. So I said, I have been driven away from your eyes. Would I ever look again towards your holy temple? Waters encompassed me unto life. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the base of the mountains. The earth and its bars were behind me forever. But you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life failed within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I offer to you with the voice of thanksgiving, I pay what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. What a prayer. He's explaining how he was sinking and sinking and sinking to the point where he felt life is leaving his body. And then he remembered God. And God sent the fish. Jonah was sinking in the consequences of his sin. Deeper and deeper and deeper away. He used a strong imagery. He was at the base of the mountains. I did a bit of reading this week of what undersea mountains look like. Did you know that some of the deepest undersea mountains, if you have to compare it to Mount Everest, put Mount Everest on a flat surface and add another mile above of it. And Jonah and his experience of sinking deeper into the sea said he was at the bottom. As far away that he could possibly be from heaven. The point, the furthest he could be away from the presence of God. And wasn't that exactly his goal? To try and get away as far as he can from the presence of God. And I, I believe he ended up there. Because in another translation it says, that from the belly of Sheol, which are one of the names or references of eternal death and hell, I remembered God. So he got what he asked for. He got what he aimed for, being completely, as far away as he possibly can in human terms, from the presence of the Lord. Yet there's this beautiful exchange in this moment where he says, but I will remember God even in the worst case scenario. Because he is a God of salvation. He's the author of the book of salvation. He was sinking in the consequences of his sin. He was suffocating. I had an interesting conversation with Eugene on Tuesday night. He's a a prolific swimmer. He was in the Navy. And uh, I tried to swim a little bit. I'm far away from how he swims. But uh, I would never do Roy Alves to <laughs> what? No, Pringle Bay to Gordon's Bay. There's just no way. Um, <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. 
um, but he told me that the thing about swimming is what happens to your body when you, when you start panicking is you, you physically go paralyzed. Anyone felt that swimming before? You, you slick a little bit of water and you just... So I told him, that's exactly that. The biggest thing for me was to put my head underwater and keep swimming and get to a place where I'm completely relaxed and at ease. And here's Jonah in his distress. I can imagine him just gulping seawater the whole time, his whole body paralyzed, and him sinking away, sinking away, sinking away, seaweed wrapped around his head. It is the worst case scenario for this guy. It is utter death. And there he is suffocating, and, and in his spirit, he has one more chance, and he says, God, I'm gonna remember you. And then God comes through strong, and he says, I am the Lord of second chances, Jonah. And he sent the fish. What I love about this scripture, it was highlighted on the screen. The words, you brought me up. There's the Hebrew writing for it. I'm not gonna try and pronounce it, but it literally means to ascend. Isn't this amazing? The contrast, the descent of disobedience and then the ascent of what God has for us. So the opposite of what we choose, there's another direction. There's a 180 degree turn in the direction of God where we can ascend to his holy hill and be in the presence of Almighty God. And that's why I call my message in contrast to last week, this morning, the ascent of acknowledgement. Jonah acknowledged what he's done. Jonah acknowledged that God has turned his face away from him. Jonah acknowledged that God was disciplining him. Jonah acknowledged that when there was this match between his humanity and God's supremacy that he lost. And in all of that, God, Jonah acknowledged that God is a God of salvation. And if we can come to terms, the word acknowledge mean, means to accept or admit the existence of truth. Jonah accepted and admitted the existence of the truth that there's nowhere he can go that can take him away from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? So if we can get to a place where we start acknowledging who God is and our relation to him, we can start climbing the ascent back into what God has for each one of us. So I'm gonna look at five things that Jonah acknowledged in his prayer. We're gonna study them together. And then we're gonna take a moment to reflect over our own lives. The first thing that Jonah acknowledged is, I love this, this is where it starts, the first verse. He acknowledged that he belongs to God. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Not to the Lord, the God, the Lord, his God. God is incredibly and fully and completely personal with each one of us. Yes, the author of all of life, the creator of all things, yet he knows our hearts. And Jonah didn't cry out to the God of the Hebrews. In the previous chapter, he said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear God. But this time he cried out to a personal God. He acknowledged that the God of the heavens is his and he belongs to him. Reminds me of when God gave the Hebrew nation his commandment. He said, I am your God and you are my people. And if we fall down this the sinking in our sin, the first step is acknowledging that you are and you belong to God. The Bible says that you have been bought with a price. 
by the precious blood of Jesus. Romans teaches that nothing can separate us from that purchase that he has made. You belong to God and there's no sin that can remove you from that position of belonging to Christ Jesus. And in Jonah's sinking, he remembered that I belong to Yahweh, almighty God, and I'm gonna cry out to him one last time. Can we acknowledge this morning that we belong to God? In your worst disobedience, even though you are on the seabed of sin, you still belong to him completely and fully. Will you be like Jonah who remembers God in that moment and acknowledge that? The second thing he acknowledged is that God is accessible. I love this part. The verse says there that I called to the Lord because of my distress and he answered me. From the stomach of the grave, I cried and you heard my voice. From the belly of Sheol, the darkest, deepest place, the furthest place away from your presence I could possibly try and be, you are still an accessible God. And this is exactly the lie that the enemy wants us to believe when we fall into the traps and the downward spiral of our sin that God is not accessible anymore. Have you ever felt that, that you've done something terrible and the last place you wanna go is back to Jesus? Anyone can relate to me? Is it just me? Thank you, there's some hands. Where you, you, you rather run away than actually go and say, Jesus, here I am. I've messed up. I've missed it completely. I feel like there's seaweed wrapped around my head. But I acknowledge that you are still accessible. Listen to the word of God this morning. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Boldly, without restraint, without holding back. There we will receive mercy. Not might, not possibly, we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Romans 5 verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded much more. And Jonah had this revelation that even though he's sinking as far away as possible from the heavenlies, God is still accessible. I don't know where you are at, but you might feel that God is not accessible to you, that you've messed it up completely, you've had your second chance. The thing about Jesus is that there are second chances on your second chance. And this morning, there's an opportunity for you to run back to the author of salvation, who says that I have another story for you in your life to complete. Will you come back to me? And I'm accessible to you this morning. The third acknowledgement we see from this prayer is Jonah acknowledged God's discipline. It's amazing how when we fall down the descent of disobedience, we try everything possible to blame anything else but ourselves for the trouble that we're in, right? We think of, why am I I here? How did this come about? Jonah was man enough to say, God, I am in the discipline that you have for me because of what I've done. Listen to the verses. For you threw me into the deep. Not the men who took me and threw me overboard, God, you picked me up and threw me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your breakers and your waves passed over me. When we are in this position and maybe in the tumultuous space of sin and disobedience, we have to come to terms that God 
might be disciplining us, and he probably will, because he loves us. There's this weird thinking that a loving God would never. You guys have heard that. I read an interesting verse this week. It's on my phone, which speaks about the clouds out of Job 37. And it says this, it says, he sends the clouds to bring sometimes discipline, that's what the word is, sometimes discipline, sometimes grace, sometimes extravagant love. In other words, there are times where God sends the storms for discipline physically to this earth. He says he makes it water all around the earth as he wills for discipline, sometimes for grace, and sometimes for extravagant love. There are times where the clouds hold back the rain, sometimes for discipline, sometimes for grace, and sometimes for extravagant love. If we think that God would not discipline, we have a very skewed version of who our Father in heaven is. The best thing that I can do to my children is to discipline them so that they can grow up in the way of God. And listen, I'm gonna read this for you from Hebrews chapter 12 about God's heart for discipline. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of the spirits and life. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Two weeks ago during our pre-service prayer, God gave me a vision of a man standing with, with cables in his hand behind the speedboat on skis. And how this boat takes off and this man is just overcome by the waves. And suddenly he strengthens his hands and he strengthens his knees and he gets up and he's behind this boat. And I felt, God, what are you saying through this? And he, read, he led me to this scripture speaking about discipline. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. There's a healing that God has for us when we're in that position of discipline. That only comes through that. And our response is saying, God, we're going to strengthen our hands and our knees. And we're going to stand behind what it is that you are leading us into. And we're going to say, Jesus, please, we desire this. And Jonah did this in his heart. He says, God, everything I'm going through now, I'm not gonna blame anyone else but myself. It's your waves. It's your billows. It's your crashing. This is all you saying, Jonah, will you remember me one more time? The fourth acknowledgement that Jonah had in his sinking. It's out of verse four and later on again in verse seven. Who shall ascend, no, sorry, acknowledge God's holiness. Verse four, so I said, I have been driven away from your eyes. God has turned his face away from Jonah. Would I ever look again towards your holy temple? 
He acknowledged in that moment that there is a holy God and that he has fallen in the trap of living unholiness. Now, I just want to talk about holiness for a moment. Because it's somewhat in our world has become a religious term that we treat as religiosity, which it is not. The essence of the word holiness is to be set apart. It's to say, God, and even though I make a mistake, I am in my heart again going to set myself apart for your purposes and for following after you. Psalm 24, who shall ascend? Here we go, the ascent. I love how the Bible is full of themes. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Jonah had revelation that the only way he could ascend again to the temple of God, the hill of the Lord, is by cleansing himself from his unholiness. By saying, God, I'm going to take an opportunity again to set myself apart, which is what holiness means for your purposes. So it's not a religious term, it's a term of the heart where we say, God, again and again and again, I'm going to set myself apart. I might slip again in a week's time, but Jesus, I'm going to set myself apart for your purposes. Because I want to be able to ascend to your heel with clean hands and a pure heart. I love how Jesus through the cross has made this possible. That it's not by our own doing and by our works. But it's a matter of the heart where we say, Jesus, again and again and again, I'm going to turn my heart to you. I'm going to accept your discipline as we read in Hebrews 12 for the sake of holiness. And then the last acknowledgement and we're going to continue to sing to Jesus this morning as we embrace this word is that he acknowledged him alone as God. Verse eight and nine. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I offer to you with the voice of thanksgiving, I pay what I have vowed. He contrasts the life of the follower of Jesus, the Christian, to those of the life of those who chase after idols. And I believe that Jonah took a moment to reflect on their own idols in his heart. It was an opportunity for him to cast away, cast away the idols that he's been holding on to. I remember in the first week how Ricky so delicately and clearly explained to us the posture of Jonah. He was a nationalist prophet. He loved the Hebrew nation. And when God came and said, there's another nation I loved or I love that I wanna reach out to, he said, no way, God. The Hebrew people are yours. And there was a pride. And it became an idol that he held on to. His nationalism of loving the Hebrew people was an idol. Then there are the other idols in his life of safety. God, I'm not going to go to those people. They are brutal. They'll kill me and slaughter me. I'd rather be safe. Another idol that he had was one of opinion. I don't agree with you, God. I think... I'm going to follow my own opinion. And here, while he's sinking, 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 he has an opportunity to gain to say, will I be like those who run after vain idols, who thinks that there are other books written by the author of salvation that I can follow? Because when we do that, we forsake our faithfulness to the one who created us. But I, I will pay what I have vowed. I will go back to the place where I remind myself that I prayed a prayer one day and said, God, you are my God and I am yours.
And this morning, there's an opportunity for you to pay again what you have vowed in your heart. Say, God, I return and I forsake every, any other idol. Idols of comfort, idols of things I think I have, the idol of family life. Sorry if I'm stepping on toes. Jesus is greater than that. We have to get an eternity perspective on what we're living for. Those are benefits that we receive from him, but that's not him. I want Jesus in his fullness. And I want to forsake anything else that becomes an idol in my own life. And I want to pay to God what I have vowed, saying, Jesus, I love you and I'm going to run hard after you and chase you. And then this prayer ends with a declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In a more literal translation, it says, deliverance is of Yahweh. Your deliverance and your salvation is simply from God and it's available to you this morning. Wherever you are on this scope of acknowledging again who God is in your life and what He is calling you to. Whether it's stepping again into a place of set-apartedness where you become holy, whether it's saying, God, the discipline I'm going through, I welcome because you are creating in me something better. Whether it is you saying, I'm gonna forsake my idols. Whether you need to be reminded this morning that you do belong to Jesus regardless of what you have done. And where maybe this morning you've walked the other way because of your sin and Jesus says, I'm accessible to you. Come boldly to my throne of grace. I'm gonna read to you the words of Matthew Henry as a summary of this prayer. It's on the screen and you can follow. When we are in affliction, we must pray. Then we have occasion to pray. Then we have errands at the throne of grace and business there. Then if ever, we shall have a disposition to pray. When the heart is humbled and softened and made serious, then God expects it. Though we bring our afflictions upon ourselves by our sins, if we pray in humility and godly sincerity, we shall be welcome to the throne of grace as Jonah was. That's the power of salvation. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That even though our afflictions is brought upon us by ourselves, we can come with humility and say, Jesus, once more, I need you. I'm gonna run after you and nothing else in this world. Then there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's restoration and all these beautiful things. And the story of chapter two ends where Jonah finds himself on safe, dry ground again breathing fresh air. Not longing for oxygen to fill his breath again. Out of the stench of the dead fish in the belly of the big fish, out of all of that, Jesus, I'm breathing fresh air. And this morning, I believe that God has an opportunity for us to breathe fresh air again. Joni came this morning and she said, God spoke to us clearly about where Elijah there was a dead boy and he went into the house and he took this boy to the, he went to the upper room to pray and then he lay down on this boy and breathed over this boy and the boy was resurrected. Again, without knowing what we're gonna share this morning, there's a resurrection opportunity in our lives this morning. So God, breathe on me again. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And I can return to you, the author of salvation. Why don't we close our eyes?
darkness to light, from death into life, His grace changes everything. From broken to old, stained to whiter than the snow, His grace changes everything. His grace changes everything and there's no sin too great there's no we thank you for this reminder this morning that you are so accessible to each and every one of us we want to accept again your mercy and your grace thank you for your word that says we can come boldly and we will find mercy and we will find grace this morning I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message of hope There's going to be a few categories of responding. I want us to remain in this position with our eyes closed. This is a you and God moment. Nothing else matters in this moment. Not nothing. If you're holding the hand of your spouse or anyone next to you, let go. Just you and Jesus for a minute. You might be here this morning. And you've been running after vain idols. And your eyes have been closed to the light, which is Jesus and the truth. And you've not considered Jesus before as the author of salvation. He's not only the author of salvation. In the same breath, he's the author of your life. And there's a story of your life that he wants to write and complete. Where in the end, it ends good and well and pleasant. If that's you this morning, you've never turned your hearts toward Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to follow after you. You might be at the bottom of the seabed in your sin. 
You might feel like the seaweed is wrapped around your head, but today Jesus' arm, the Bible says, is not too short that it cannot save, and it's stretching into the depths of where you find yourself, and he's ready to pull you right up. If that's you this morning, I want you to just respond by putting up your hand and say, Pierre, I want to accept Jesus this morning. No one else is looking. Why don't you put up your hand if that's you? Thank you. I see the hands. That's amazing back there. It's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Your moment has arrived where God is pulling you out of your despair, out of the depths of what felt like the grave. He's going to breathe new life over you this morning. I want this group of people to pray with me. Let's all pray. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I realize that you are Lord, that you are the author of salvation. I accept it this morning. I acknowledge you as God. And I acknowledge that I need you. Jesus, forgive me for every sin. Forgive me for my disobedience. I turn towards you this morning. And I remember you just like Jonah. Come and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Set me apart to be holy. I accept your forgiveness. Thank you for the finished work on the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says that heaven is rejoicing right now over every prayer that was prayed this morning. It's amazing. There's something new for you right now. You're going to step into the new if you cling to what God has. There's an ascent that he has for you back to his holy hill to be in his presence. Thank you, Jesus. And then there's a second group of us who feel really convicted this morning by this message. And it feels like, yes, there's some seaweed wrapped around me. I feel the waves and the billows crashing over me. I'm gasping for air. I might be suffocating in my, my, my choices. And when I find myself, the, the Lord of the heavens, Yahweh, is your deliverer this morning. And he's ready to come and deliver you. And if you want to accept that deliverance, why don't you rise to your feet and say, yes. I want to accept the deliverance that God has for me out of the affliction that I find myself in. Why don't you just stand up? Thank you. There at the back, there's more of you. Stand up this morning and say, I accept the deliverance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are setting us free, that you are breathing fresh air into our lungs, that we are resurrected by your power. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What I want us to do those people around them, why don't you just lay hands on them and pray for them? Just speak words of faith, words of life over them. Pray for them in this moment. Let's be the church. And once we're done praying, we're all going to go to the table of the Lord and remember what Jesus has done on the cross. Let's pray for these people. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord, that you are setting us free this morning. This message is for all of us, not just for those who responded. I just want to take a moment. The young guy there who stood up, I've got a word for you. I see that, like David, the world has been trying to clothe you in the armors of King Saul. And that you've been finding your identity in that. And this morning Jesus is saying, I'm removing that. Like David, you're going to run after me. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This morning we have communion. On the night that Jesus was taken to be crucified on the cross, he took a moment with his disciples. He sat around the table and he took the bread and he says, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. Eat this so that you can have part in me. A gospel message that he was broken and bruised for our sins. That he paid the sacrifice for us all. And he said, do this often in remembrance of me. And he took the wine and he shared it with them. And they said, this is my blood which will be shed for you. Drink this so that you can have part in me. It's the crimson stains to wash us white as snow. So why don't we take a moment this morning and personally respond by participating in the communion elements. Eliana is going to continue ministering for a few minutes. It's another moment for you to say, Lord, I acknowledge you as Lord of my life. And like Jonah, I say that salvation belongs to my God. Let's uh, have communion together this morning.